This segment is brought to you by our friends at nwordhalf.com. Go bother everything polo right now through the Volunteer Club. You can support people who support us. You can support Tennessee players. You make them look good. You get a beautiful shirt. That's called killing three birds with one stone. Inwardhalf.com if you want to shop their apparel. You don't have to be a golfer to enjoy the sleek, comfortable shirts they have, the hoodies they have. We appreciate them for their support. Inwardhalf.com. Speaking of supporting the boys, NIL, recruiting, all those things, it did look last night that the race is over between Oklahoma and Tennessee. It does appear that Tennessee is going to land Lance Hurd, the five-star transfer out of LSU. Bob, this is a big deal because people were upset about the Jordan Seaton guy, right? The the big time tackle that chose Colorado over Tennessee and missing out on him. This is a guy in Lance Hurd who has similar rankings in his class. The difference is he then got a year in an SEC weight room. So like you don't really want to start true freshman on the offensive line in the SEC too many times unless they're just absolutely special. This will be a guy coming in after a year in a in a in a well-respected, obviously, LSU weight program, and they know how to play football down there. So, like, you're getting a guy from a big-time program, bringing him to a big-time program, and just going to plug him in, hopefully, for two years at left tackle. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, we're a little premature, but it does sound like all indicators are he's headed this way, and that's great news. Yeah, yeah, let me, let me knock on wood. Hold yeah. on. I, all indicators, sorry. It hasn't been approved for sure. It hasn't been announced, but it does – Oklahoma's pretty much withdrawn, and and Tennessee feels really really good from everything the internet is saying. Yes, um, no, I agree, and and I I think it's just what the doctor ordered for for Tennessee. They we need. It's not even about well, obviously it is about bolstering that that line, but also um, just a you know it's a story to kind of get back out there that we're still we still have some pull. We we really need that right now. It just feels like Tennessee's. Uh, had a few misses recently, and uh, this is a big one. So I, I think that this is uh, this is this is good if it if it plays out this way. Uh, pretty exciting. It's a big statement, especially Bob, if you can combine it with the the imminent amount announcement of George McIntyre. You right. know, if you land a you're another five star quarterback that you know will be the the heir apparent, the, the the guy who receives the torch from Nico when he goes to the NFL. So, like, you know, that that's how you start stacking classes. That's how you start, you know, becoming an elite program as you go from one five-star quarterback to another five-star quarterback. And you, you have some five-star offensive linemen, and you're able to kind of put that together. So, yeah, Tennessee, if they're able to kind of stagger these announcements, they're going to be the, kind of the talk of college football at least when you look to the future, of course, uh, outside of the coaching searches we've been talking about with Alabama, of course. And then we talked about this earlier in the week, um, just about the maybe the the Tennessee mindset in general when it comes to you know recruiting kids out of the portal and everything else. About how how aggressive have they been? Have they been too nice sometimes? 
And I'm just sitting there thinking about we just got this 30-day extension with Alabama players. You know, I just, it just makes me wonder. We don't have an answer. Raid the cupboards. Yeah, we don't have an answer for Pillage it. Pillage the but, village. But how aggressive do we think Tennessee is? Because you know someone like uh, a Kiffin. Kiffin's probably torn because he's probably wanting to stump for the job. <laughs> That's or, true. And, uh, but then also wants their players, you know. Um, I, I just wonder – I just wonder how how Tennessee's approaching that. I, I hope that they're because you know there's a feeding frenzy. There's all sorts of schools reaching out at this point. Yeah, I mean, I guess technically the schools still can't reach out. I mean, because no one's in the portal yet, so like these guys have to get in the portal. But I imagine hmm. any NIL collective that's worth its weight is at least working back channels. Exactly. And, and the players, I'd imagine, at Alabama are working channels because let's face it, they're the kids left behind. They're yeah. the kids left behind. You you said every every player that had come to Alabama and stayed for four years won a national title with Nick Saban. Well, the players there now, the sophomores and freshmen there now, like that's what they signed up for. Right. The commitments in this class that are you know still haven't signed in twenty twenty four. That's what they're looking at. Hey, we want to be coached by Nick Saban. That's the guy that can get us to the NFL for sure. I've seen him do it. Now they're all looking around saying, well, you know, we don't know who the coach is. And also, no matter who the coach is, it's not going to be Nick Saban. So let's at least look around and see what we can do. And also, like Alabama, they're going to lose that advantage of having Nick Saban. He's gone. Their advantage in the past has been, hey, yeah, we'll bend the rules. And I'm not saying they're the only SEC school that was paying players, of course, or, or giving away cars. But now that's legal, right? Like, Alabama was maybe willing to do it, and that's fine, and they had Nick Saban helping them do it and all that. But now, like, everything's above the table. So Alabama loses their advantage with with Nick Saban, and they've lost their advantage of, like, hey, these boosters are going to give you a lot of money here because everyone can do that. So, yeah, I hope everyone on the roster is looking around saying, well, i got to do what's best for me now. And hopefully Tennessee can maybe get a couple guys and has a couple of shekels left in, left in their NIL collective, and we got a couple of roster spots. Like, hey, any cornerback there? I will, right. pay, I will pay Nico Iamaliava money for Caleb Downs from Alabama. Give me that safety all day long. Yeah, I was going to say, any safety there that's any good? Caleb Downs, come on down. Or up, I guess, to Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> but, you know, going back to the word vibes, they're doing, they're doing a 180 because they were, they were kind of bad coming into the week. When you're looking at, oh, man, are we really going to miss out on all these offensive tackles in the transfer portal? Really? This offensive line's really – and then you lose Gerald Mintz. You're like, really, we're losing guys? Now you're feeling like, okay, we are most likely getting the guy Lance Hurd from LSU. You're going to beat Oklahoma for him. You're going to you know add a five-star quarterback in the coming days. And also, oh, yeah, Nick Saban just retired. To me, Bob, that changes the math on the 2024 season completely because I think we were hoping for nine and th- or nine and three is the floor. We're hoping for ten and two. Ten and two now feels closer to the floor, and a playoff appearance seems like the the expectation that I have now, knowing that Nick Saban is not going to be the guy coming into to Neyland Stadium on the third Saturday in October. That's going to be a a weakened team. I think you're right. I. Uh... I know that's how I feel too. I think that uh, if we talk about losses next season again, I, I hate doing it, but Georgia, you know, comes on the list. 
Sure. That that game in Norman, I don't know what to take with it uh, or expect with it. But Oklahoma's probably going to be a couple points favored. Like yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they're three, three and a half point favorites. But yeah. a game you can win. But absolutely, yeah, yeah. But but you're right. This Alabama game has a totally different feel now. Where I look, I I love our chances in Neyland against Alabama, even if Saban is the coach. But now that changes things dramatically. You got to believe whoever comes in there is not going to get that going full throttle halfway through the season of season one. Yeah, I mean, like, no matter how good your coach is, typically season ones don't go well. Now, the math changes a little bit whenever you're saying, hey, he's not replacing a fired coach, he's replacing a, a coach on a playoff team, right? So it's not like Alabama's going to be in shambles. It's not like they're, you know, they're they're firing the coach for performance and they're having to, like, either completely change the culture or bring in talent. Like, Alabama's not going away in that regard, but they're also not the boogeyman anymore, and they're also not 1B to Georgia. Now they're, at best, a, a number two, or maybe a number three, or maybe a number four, depending on who they hire. But with that being said, them coming into Neyland Stadium, I think before this announcement with Jalen Milrow and Nick Saban, Alabama's probably coming in expected to win. They're probably coming in favored. That was seen as a toss-up game at best or a game you're maybe a, a lean you're going to lose. I think that changes now. I think it's a toss-up at worst and a game that you should win at best. And Tennessee might come into that game and is favored now. Yeah, I would think so. But 10-2 and two does feel – that feels – very real. I think that I think that's what t- I think ten and two is necessary to get into the playoffs too. I think. I think nine and three is going to get teams in sometimes, like at the back end, and and you know with that there'll be caveats and there'll be you know you'll have to look at the resume and okay well they had a couple good wins and yeah this loss happened blah 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 they had a tough schedule like I don't know if nine and three would have gotten Tennessee in or will get Tennessee in moving forward this upcoming year, just because if Tennessee goes nine and three against our schedule, which is pretty easy. Yeah. If you go nine and three, that means you most likely let's just say you lost to Oklahoma, Tennessee loses to Alabama, and Tennessee loses to Georgia. Let's just say those are your three losses. Who'd you beat? Yeah. You didn't beat anybody good enough to get you that twelfth spot, probably. Right. Ten and two though, yeah, I mean you'll you'll be an absolute lot. I would think so, yeah. Yeah. Um I don't want to say ten and two is the floor, because that's unrealistic. But again, Coming out of this, to me, the expectation, my expectation for the season is 10-2 and with a playoff berth. 9-3 and three is not like, hey, oh, my God, what a failure. Fire Josh Heupel. 8-4 like, maybe feels that way. But 9-3 and three doesn't feel that way. But to me, I'm going into the season expecting to win 10 games and expecting to be a playoff team. And I think that's fair for you to have that as a fan. Yeah, I mean, I think that expectation is is absolutely on the table now for Tennessee, given the, you know, the recruiting that Heupel's done in his time here and and the product that he's been able to put on the field. I feel like the twelve team playoff should should absolutely be your goal and should kind of be the the bar that you set for this type of program. I think you absolutely have that potential, and obviously you've got the quarterback to be able to do it. And you know, Saban retiring obviously helps you know helps kind of one of those other dominoes in the SEC fall down a little bit and and helps even the playing field so yeah I mean I don't think nine wins or ten asking for ten even is really that that crazy of an ask I I think you've got a ton of talent on this team and you've got a a schedule that's 
I think, pretty favorable compared to a lot of the other SEC. Well, you bring up the schedule. Bob, have you seen the schedule kind of broken down in terms of the win-loss records from teams this year? Uh, no, not so much. I mean, I'll tell you one game that I've always been a little bit concerned about is um, North Carolina State, neutral field. Well, that 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 was worrisome to me before the bowl game just because I was like, man, if, if Joe Milton starts the bowl game – and we're asking Nico to make his first real start against North Carolina State. That becomes a little bit trickier. Right. And, you know, the lack of reps from the year before maybe scares you a little bit more. But I do think Nico kind of put that to bed, at least, a, you know, mostly with me and I think with everybody with the way he played against Iowa. But just looking, I know North Carolina State's not in the SEC, obviously, right. yet at least. SEC might kind of put these together, a breakdown of, of 2024 schedules based off of 2023 records. Leading the way with the toughest schedule, by the way, is Florida. Their their oh, opponents yeah. went 106 and 50, which is by far the number one. 106 and 50. Tennessee, out of 16 teams, where do you think they rank in terms of their schedule, wins and losses from the year before? From the year before, I'd put a middle of the pack, maybe like no, no, 15th. Wow, yeah. 15th. Tennessee has the easy, second easiest schedule. In terms of last year's win loss record, their their opponents come in at seventy nine and seventy three. So, what was that? Twenty nine losses or twenty nine? Yeah, twenty nine more losses or twenty nine fewer wins. I guess I should say who, compared to uh, compared to Florida. Who has the easiest? Is it Missouri? It's Missouri. Yeah, Missouri's opponents are sixty five and eighty four. So Jesus, that's a yeah a fifty fifty uh, win difference compared to what Florida's dealing with. And you said Missouri plays Alabama this year? Correct. So, yeah. like, one of their only tough opponents becomes yeah. easier? I actually I saw that stat through the through the Missouri schedule. Yeah, I was pretty pretty shocked at Missouri just being able to walk through the park, it seems like, next year. So, the three easiest schedules, or the teams that have the three easiest schedules next year, Missouri, Tennessee, and Ole Miss. So, yeah. all three of those teams getting some hype to be, you know, around the top ten, in the top ten. I know Tennessee's kind of out right outside of it. When you look at the rosters and that they're adding, you look at what they're bringing back, and then you look at the schedule. Like all three of those teams are having the same conversation, right? Like Ole Miss fans are having the same conversation now about winning the SEC and making the playoff. Missouri talking about building and making the twelve-team playoff. Tennessee talking about doing that. All three of those teams in similar situations. You know, another SEC game with Tennessee for next season that has been on my mind before. Again, I feel a little better after what we saw from Nico on uh, New Year's Day. Sure. I just don't know what to expect from Arkansas next season. And we and Tennessee goes to Fayetteville, which yeah. is I, tough. I expect them to be a train wreck next year. I expect. I think Sam Pittman's a lame duck. You know, yeah. I think Petrino is going to be doing whatever he's doing there behind the scenes. And they have a quarterback yet? Yeah, KJ Jefferson left. Yeah. I, they had a guy I think on in their roster. I think yeah. that was going to get. Reps. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend like I know Arkansas's quarterback situation, but they lost KJ Jefferson, right? And I expect them to be a train wreck. So, like, do you think them bringing Petrino in helps at all or no? Did it help Texas A&M? <sighs> I don't know if Jimbo won. I don't it, think. Though. I don't think Jimbo let him. Yeah. You know. Fair enough. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe Petrino's got some magic left in him. I don't know. We'll catch a break. 9:30. Going to be joined by Jesse Simonton. He used to cover the Vols here in the SEC in, in Knoxville. Now covers all of college football for On3. We'll talk to him at 9.30. Stick with us. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. 
During the break, Bob went up a level. He looked at the schedule and said, hell, why not 11-1? and one? Yeah, why not? I mean, I think Oklahoma's the wild card. Um, I, I, and again, we're, we're assuming a loss in Athens to Georgia. Um, but now knowing what we know about Alabama, imminent coaching change, bit of a reset for them. Oklahoma... They'll have a new quarterback, Dylan Gabriel's transferring out yet again. Oklahoma will be good. We know that. It's just how good. And it's early enough in the season. It's in Norman. It's a tough environment, but but why not? Um, yeah. I, I do wish we'd have gotten Nico a road start. I, I do wish we'd have gotten him a road start because I, I do think – Asking him to go on the road for the first time in Norman is is tough. And, like, you can argue with me about whether or not that would have changed the season last year. You can argue about sending Nico to Florida with no Cooper Mays or putting him against Alabama or whatever. But, like, you can't really tell me that a guy making his first road start in a top 10-ish matchup, I will say it's going to be top 10 by the time it happens, that him making his first road start in a in – a, Big-time season where you have some actual aspirations, that's a good thing. It'll be Oklahoma's first SEC game. It's going to be a madhouse. Like, yeah, that place is going to be a night game. It's going to be a madhouse. And you're going to be asking your freshman, you're you're not your freshman, but essentially a freshman, to go in there and make his first road start. And to me, that's what was so bad about the way Tennessee handled the season this year. Yeah, and I I, th- I look at obviously we have we talked about it. We have neutral field in Charlotte with North Carolina State. Obviously, North Carolina State's fans will show out there, but it's not the same. No, not yeah, not even and, close. Yeah, so that'll be tough. That'll be the closest thing he has to a road game going into Norman. So that's fair. That's that's a tough one. Um, and, and sometimes that stuff doesn't matter. You know, sometimes like you know Carson Beck hadn't had a road game until he went into Auburn or whatever. And like I mean. They didn't play very well in that game, but they did win it, and they went through the regular season undefeated. And it didn't look like it bothered Carson Beck to be in Neyland Stadium this year when it was loud. I get all those things, but this is early on in the season, and you're asking a guy to go in into a hostile environment because, yeah, I didn't even really think about that. That's their first SEC game at all? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, They'll play non-conference, and then we're the first SEC. That's going to be a lion's den. Now, (laughs) do I think that – your five-star quarterback is going to fold under that? No, not exactly. I'm not saying that he can't handle that. I'm saying I'm not saying this team can't go on the road and win, although I think if we're talking about Josh Heupel's tenure here at Tennessee, that's been something he's struggled with to go on the road and win. Like, we've been really good in Knoxville, but going on the road has always been a little bit tricky. You're going up against a good, t- you know, a really good team, and your quarterback's going to be making his first road start, and that's a little scary. Game's going to matter to Josh, though, too. He might have something up Absolutely. his sleeve. Absolutely. That is a revenge game. I did. I, did, I forgot about that part. Yeah. Or maybe he hears Boomer Sooner start playing. He's like, ah, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm back. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm back. I'm going to make sure these boys get a win. Yeah. I, I love Oklahoma. <laughs> First down, take a knee. Nico. Yeah. Just <laughs> bring me back after Brent Venables. So, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma plays Temple, Houston, and then Tulane before they get to play Tennessee. So, I don't imagine Houston's going to be very good. Uh, they're kind of in a transition period, coaching-wise, and Temple and Tulane. 
I mean, I guess Tulane's been solid in the last. They'll be without yeah, all their big players. Michael yeah, Pratt will be gone. Brazil's right. gone. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's going to be a. Uh, it's a madhouse. And I, I know we've uh, many have combed through this schedule already, but I'm just looking at it again. I mean, it's. It's the second easiest in the SEC. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a damn good schedule, honestly. I, I think the best part about it is that in the last couple of years, you've had that like three to four game gauntlet in every single season, and and this schedule feels like it's at most two games, kind of maybe three at a, at some parts, but like yeah. I, I think it's a pretty manageable schedule in terms of not having a gauntlet. It just depends on what you think of Florida and Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, Kentucky, you know, doing their thing. They, they've got some guys in the transfer portal. They're taking, you know, some cast-offs, some, some highly-rated recruits that maybe weren't highly-rated college football players. And, of course, Florida is scary to some people. So, if you view them as tough, and that three-game stretch of Florida, Alabama, Kentucky maybe scares you. But all three of those are in Neyland Stadium. Right. Who did Mississippi State get as their coach? Escaped Jeff Levy, the, right. the Oklahoma offensive That's coordinator. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, you'll have a new coordinator in that first game, at least for Oklahoma as well. New coordinator and new quarterback. So, like, yeah. typically that isn't a recipe for success. You know, usually it takes a little bit to kind of get in lockstep there. So, you know, yeah, Tennessee going to be at advantage there as Tennessee is going to have a guy that's going to be the starter for the last calendar year, basically. Jackson or, Arnold I, I was a- nine months, ten months. Arnold was, you know, pretty highly rated as well. Like just, just as up there as close as Nico was. But I feel like in in Oklahoma's bowl game, I think you saw Arnold struggle a whole lot more than than Nico did too right. as well. So also something to monitor in that in that regard. Yeah, played a better team, but I can't say played a better defense though, because I mean Iowa's defense was was better than Arizona's, or you know, just as good. Right. I don't, I don't think it was you know lopsided either way. But yeah, no, I mean. <sighs> It's not a make-or-break year. I don't want to say that. But you have to take advantage of these opportunities. True. Like, you, you have to take advantage of these opportunities. The schedule was pretty easy last year. But, I you know, the team wasn't ready, obviously. This year, with this schedule, you have to take advantage of it. You're going to have a veteran offensive line, or at least a couple of veterans. And maybe you're going to have an influx of talent at left tackle. If you get this guy from LSU and heard, you're going to have maybe the best, maybe the best preseason defensive player in the SEC, at least the best defensive pass rusher in James Pierce. He's going to be a, a preseason All-American. So, like, on two, on both sides of the ball, you should have a couple studs. And the schedule sets up to – to give you a chance to do something special. Of course, you go to Georgia, and that's going to be tough. But outside of that, man, you, you get Florida, Alabama, Kentucky, and Mississippi State, four games in a row with a bye week sprinkled in, all inside Neyland Stadium. Your road trips, Oklahoma, okay, that's tough. Arkansas, that, that's not that's not tough. You know, knock on wood, but I don't think they're all of a sudden going to find a, a big-time roster there. And you go to Vanderbilt. I don't need to say anything about Vanderbilt. The anonymous person that was talking about uh, the cheating. Did you see that that story where yeah. they're like everyone in college football cheats except Vanderbilt, and they're Vanderbilt. That's oh, so mean. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I was like, why'd you say that about me? Well, I was just minding my business. But yeah, like 
So like your two, your four SEC road trips, Oklahoma, Georgia, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi and Arkansas, excuse me. Yeah. You go two and two in those, you make the playoff if you take care of business at home. Yeah. Like that, that, yeah. You can you can lose to Oklahoma, you can lose to Georgia, win everything else, beat a bad Vanderbilt team, beat a bad Arkansas team on the road, and win at home, and you're in the playoff. That's what you have in front of you. Now, if you start the season by beating Oklahoma, then it becomes almost like uh, you got the plane in, like you're on cruise control. Mm-hmm. You're so far out ahead of the ahead of the pace to make the playoff that you just can't don't run into the wall. I'm excited for football, man. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk some more college football with Jesse Simonton of On Three. Talk about Saban. Talk about what Alabama does next. Stay locked in on the morning show. Everybody. Welcome back to the Fan Run Radio Morning Show. Let's bring on an old friend of Talk Sports. Jesse Simonton, national college football commu- columnist, not communist, columnist on On3, used to work here in Knoxville covering the balls. Jesse, long time no talk. Hope you're well, my friend. Yeah, I'm dragging, man. I'm tired. It's been, it's been a long week. Yeah, I was actually up uh, in Tennessee and Nashville for the whole week for the AFCA Coaches Convention, and then literally about an hour before I was about to head to the airport, had wrapped up, and just you know, Dabo and those guys had just left. Uh, the Nick Saban news dropped. So if it had dropped an hour earlier, just to kind of see the look on some folks' faces when they left, uh, the kind of final meetings there would would have been pretty epic. But wow, what a stunner! What a bombshell! Well, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask since you were there with the coaches, since you are obviously in college football media circles, you're a national columnist. Were you as surprised as everyone else? I mean, I, I, yes. The, the, the short answer is yes. I mean, I think everyone can say hindsight 2020. There were some inklings here. There were some signs there. You know, I think that uh, behind-the-scenes video that uh, I posted it on Twitter and a lot, plenty of other folks have, have kind of passed it around as well, you know, of of, of Kurt kind of meeting. Experienced a little technical difficulties with Jesse's phone line. You're cutting out. Is he still? Is he still there? Is he dropping? Still there? Can you guys not hear me? Well, I, I couldn't for a second, but I got you now. Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm 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 in the car driving. I'm I, I apologies. But no, all good. I appreciate. What I was your saying time. is that Kirby, Kirby Smart, that video that was posted by SEC Network behind the scenes of the SEC championship game. You know, that kind of seemed like a passing of the baton. Some of the things that I think Saban said in some of his post game press conferences this season. When you look back on it, you're like, oh, okay, maybe this is a guy that was kind of relishing the moment. But the fact that the reports guys have come out that, you know, that Nick Saban was making assistant coaching phone calls up until yesterday morning and then retired in the afternoon kind of makes it seem like anyone saying that this, you know, was a done deal for a while, that, that, that's kind of hard to put the, the math together with all that then. Have we confirmed whether or not Dan Lanning was in Tuscaloosa? I saw some people reporting it. I saw other people saying he was he never left, was in Eugene. Have we confirmed whether or not he was in Tuscaloosa? And have we confirmed, or or do you think, I should say, that he's their number one clear-cut option to replace Nick Saban? I think he should be, and I wrote a column on that at On3, so, so encourage folks to go check that out. That's not the way coaching searches work. And, John, you know this, even – 
uh, from kind of leading the, the the charge all those years ago. Um, you know, back back with the Shiano fiasco and whatnot. That's just not the way these things work. They don't. These candidates don't come to you. You go to them, or you have these clandestine meetings in airports or in these fancy hotels. Um, so, you know, the, the reports that I that I uh, the the sources that I would trust and the reporters that I would trust, you know, certainly said Stan Lanning's not in 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 Tuscaloosa and has not stepped foot in Tuscaloosa yet. That's not to say that he won't be there this afternoon or some other time. Uh, but if he's in Tuscaloosa, he's about to be introduced as the next head coach because that's just not the way these coaching searches work. If you are Dan Lanning, do you take the Alabama job? Because I know Oregon has dealt with coaches leaving and treating them almost as a stepping stone to, to go and do, you know, go to Florida State, go to Miami. But that was when Oregon was in the Pac-12 and you could look and say, hey, the conference is dying, the conference isn't as good. You can't say that about Oregon anymore as they head to the Big Ten. I think he's got everything he needs there. And I think, you know, obviously the prospect of following Nick Saban is a tall one. If you're Dan Lanning, would you take that job? I think that is – I think that's a, a, a great point, and I think that's a separate conversation of should Dan Lanning be Alabama's number one target. Dan Lanning's been extremely loyal to, to Oregon, and he has been very open and vocal about how much, you know, uh, loyalty and commitment he has to that program because of what they've done for him as a young coach. I agree with you. I mean, he is set up to win next season not only the Big Ten but a national championship. He's retained a bunch of his roster off this past year. He's done well in the portal, another top-five recruiting class. He would have to think long and hard about leaving because here's the thing. The next guy, as you said, do you want to be the guy to follow the guy? I think Dan Lanning has the perfect personality to do that. He has the conviction. He has the, you know, almost arrogance, uh, but he's also not one of these D.C. meatheads. You know, he embraces modern offenses, analytics, aggressiveness, but he has an understanding of the way this stuff works, too. And, you know, he could be out after three years if he fails at Alabama where he could be at Oregon for the next decade or more. Who's to say he maybe isn't the guy who follows the guy, but is maybe the next guy to follow the guy. And so I do think that's going to be a strong consideration for him. Maybe don't take the job now. Wait to see whoever gets it. And in four years when the opening comes back up, maybe then you pounce with the SEC. Hey, Jesse, this is Bob Baskerville. Good to meet you. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Um, A question I had for you is, um, and we've heard a little bit, it sounds like Alabama wants to move swiftly. Just curious what you're hearing behind the scenes, because this is obviously going to be front and center for – college football on who gets this job and um at the same time it, i guess they could move swiftly but this is one of the largest uh, personnel decisions probably in the history of college football that's right in front of us have you heard anything about uh you know their their timing in terms of how fast they want to move yeah well part of the real guys the, the reason i mean the, the, the swiftness has been uh, punctuated because of this new college football calendar. And so technically the transfer portal close is, has closed, but now it reopens for 30 days for this program. So teams and players can basically poach Alabama's roster for the next month starting yesterday. And so they want to get someone in there as quickly as possible to make sure that this roster uh, and the foundation of it remains as is 
and and that's kind of and that's going to be a challenge because it is one of the best rosters in America, and there's going to be schools across the country uh, in the SEC, Big Ten, and the like, you know, that, that want to kind of get you know poach on it. Uh, and so the, the, there is impetus there for Greg Byrne, the athletic director, to make a hire as quickly as possible. I will also say, while Saban, I don't think, you know, again, he was on the phone allegedly. Uh, reportedly with, you know, re- re- trying to replace some staffers, at, you know, as late as yesterday morning and then by the evening or early PM, you know, he, he's, re- he's announcing his retirement. I don't think he made the decision in, the, in those, you know, eight hours in between. So I do think there's clearly been some machinations behind the scenes that if this was going to go down this path, there was kind of a, uh, all right, all hands on go, let, let, let's get this thing, you know, steamed ahead. Uh, to really get a guy in there as as swiftly as possible. Talking with Jesse Simonson, National College Football Communist, Colonist, almost did it again, for On3 Sports. I think, Jesse, that Nick Saban's retirement officially ends Alabama as a top-two team in the SEC. You know, you could say that they were still neck-and-neck neck or right behind Georgia, depending on how you want to phrase it. But I think with Saban leaving – that is over. I'm not saying they're dead. I'm not saying they go to the back of the line or become Mississippi State, of course. But I think the gap now between Georgia and everyone else will grow. Maybe Texas grabs that number two spot. Do you agree that Alabama is done, or do you think they could still be an elite program? Do you think maybe they could slide into number three, or how do you see it? Well, I think I think they can absolutely still be an elite program because there's everything else is set up there. Uh, infrastructure. Um, facilities, not a problem. Their NIL collective is strong, um, administrative support. But Saban certainly, I mean, he was the GOAT for a reason. And he, you know, this year, I think a lot of folks, myself included, and I, and I wrote it after they upset Georgia and Atlanta, that this was, you know, among the best, if not the best coaching jobs he did all season. So you take away that equation, and there is going to be a real vacuum there. And And to your point, I also – you know, Texas is probably the, would be the number one team I would circle that say uh, has the, the capability and possibility to fill that vacuum. Georgia probably is now going to kind of stretch um, its it, its lead, so to speak, in, in terms of being the top dog in the league. Um, but there is an opening there for some other schools, whether it is Tennessee or you know, it certainly. This was all happening yesterday. It's it's hard not to at least say, hey, did, did someone in LSU have an, have an inkling that maybe this was going down because it was just earlier in the morning that Brian Kelly circled back and, and doubled down and, and paid even more money to steal Bo Davis from, from Texas and got more money to take you know the guys from Missouri. He's building a, a heck of a defensive staff there at LSU. And so the Tigers are another team that, that could kind of maybe – jump uh, or leapfrog Alabama. So I don't know if you guys have peaked at Alabama's schedule next season, but whoever takes that job in year one is is facing a heck of a gauntlet with road trips to Wisconsin, Tennessee. Uh, They play Georgia at home, Oklahoma on the road, Auburn, LSU on the road. Uh, there's another one I'm missing there off the top of my head. But I mean, they got to play Mizzou as well. Mizzou, yeah, Mizzou's another one. So it's 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 a tough, tough 24 slate. Well, I know you're obviously familiar with the Vols. You know, you covered Tennessee for a long time for VolQuest. But how do you view Tennessee's output? Because I think that this changes the math on the season. Because, 
you know, anytime Nick Saban comes to your stadium, it's a coin flip at best and a, you know, likely loss usually. But now I think that changes the math and Tennessee moves into the should win and, you know, that win would go a long way to get Tennessee in the playoff. Yeah, for me, I mean, I, I, I can't I can't speak to, to, to Tennessee's exact schedule uh, off the top of my head It's here, easy. The second easiest in the SEC. Second easiest in the SEC. Okay, well, for, for me, I, I think Tennessee's season is going to really hinge on, right, honestly, guys, uh, it's going to hinge on the offseason and how big uh, and strong Nico can get because I think, you know, they kind of laid out the path there we, we want him to run. That's going to be a strength of the offense. That's clearly one of his physical abilities and, and, so, and, and something that we believe, you know, can, can really elevate our, our, our offense uh, from this past season. But the man's a frail kid, and he's going to need to, to, you know, be able to take that beating in the SEC, especially when you're talking about a playoff. If you get to the playoff, you, you know, you may be playing upwards of 14-plus games or yeah. so. Um, so they, they need a big off season from Nico. You know, I like what Tennessee's done, uh, from the rest of their roster. There's still some defensive question marks there. Um, but you got one of the best pass rushers in the country. You got a really nice stable of tailbacks. If, the, if, if you're right on the quarterback and he can hold up physically, Tennessee should certainly be in the mix there, you know, for, for that 12 team field. Before I let you go, how bad of the how bad has the challenge been this season? Do you even watch it? Have you did you stick I, with it? It's been so bad. I I, I have not watched uh, it at all this season. Not watched it at all. A haven't had time, and B when I saw the premise, I was like, I'm out. Yeah, you're not missing anything. You're not missing anything. Jesse, great reconnecting with you. Glad to talk to you. Follow him on X, Jesse R E Simonton on Twitter slash X. He is not. A communist, he is a columnist, and I am just bad at radio. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for waking up and dealing with us. Talk to you soon. Sam sent us a break. It is the morning show. Columnist. Columnist. (laughs) We have been so blessed. We have been so blessed this first week of the morning show. So much news to talk about. Nick Saban, Bill Belichick. Both gone. Bobby said you had some gambling gods on the next successor. That's been a common theme of the show as well today. Oh yeah, this uh, was provided for me by someone. This is uh, this is one early offshore line, and and some of it seems consistent to what we've talked about and what we're thinking. Some of it seems pretty absurd, but uh, I'll just rattle off a few of them because the list is like forty people long and. Uh, and I will say that haha Clinton Dix is on it too. So what? Yeah, way down the list. Way down the <laughs> list. That's just If you if you gamble on that, that's your degenerate. You, you deserve right? to lose money. Like you're yeah. throwing money sometimes away. Sometimes I'm like why do people put these crazy lines up and I'm like I get it sometimes when it's just noteworthy like who's the next president? Okay, put Kanye West and Kim yeah. Kardashian up there. It'll make news, but if somebody actually puts a dollar on haha Clinton Dix being the next coach, then they deserve all the bad things that happen to them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so the list, uh, top of the list, we've been spending time talking about him at three to one is Dan Lanning, four to one, Dabo Sweeney, five to one, Lane Kiffin. Okay. Six to one, two people at six to one, Kalen DeBoer and Deion Sanders. 
Well, you know, I, I brought up Dion. I haven't yeah. seen too many people bring up Dion yet, but I do think he's at least worth keeping keeping in mind. I, just to, just depends on how far they get down their list, but that that would be an easy sell to the players at Alabama. You know, I don't know how the fan base would feel. Yeah, that, so that's the top five. I would give either one of you a buy you lunch if you can guess number six. Buy me lunch if I can guess number six. That means it's going to be somebody crazy. Bill Belichick. No. Damn it. Um, Damn it. Brian Kelly. No. Chip Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> you only get one guess. Kelly uh, Clarkson. Pat Shermer. What? Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. This is where it starts to get preposterous. Number so that was number six. Number seven, Urban Meyer at ten to one. Billy Napier at number eight, fourteen to one. This is where it gets preposterous. Derek Dooley, number nine, fourteen to one. Mike Norvell, sixteen. More like forty thousand to one. Right, Derek Dooley. I mean, again, if you bet on it, they're just going to take your money and count. Yeah, but but I mean, even if even if your your odds were crazy, how how in the world do you have Billy Napier and Derek Dooley in front of Mike Norvell? Oh Um, yeah, Mike Norvell's a name we should have mentioned. Mike Norvell is a guy that I think they could get, and I think that's a name that's respected enough that yeah. you, you, you could save face and look like you're you're hitting a triple at least. Maybe people won't call it a home run, but that's a, a really productive at-bat. You drove some people home. I agree. And meanwhile, some of the other names we mentioned, one that we thought was a long shot but worth talking about was D'Amico Ryans. They have him at 23-1. to 1. And um, they have Steve Sarkeesian at thirty-five to one, which is th- so. This, you know, again, I, this is just one example, but it, it's just fun to talk about. Yeah, I just think it, the thirty-five to one for Sarkeesian. I mean, I wouldn't put it that long of his odds, but I just don't think there's any way he leaves Texas with what he's got yeah. there right now to go to Alabama and just have all that pressure following Nick Saban because he's already got enough pressure, you know, at Texas. Why, why make it worse by being the guy who left Texas to go to Alabama to follow Nick Saban? It just doesn't make sense. But so the top four was Lanning, Lanning Swinney, Kiffin. And then Kalen DeBoer is tied with uh, Coach Dion Prime, yeah. Okay. Dion really might be interesting there. Yeah, I mean, I, I was – I thought, you know, Texas A&M should have hired Dion, yeah. or at least talked to Dion. I mean, I, Mike Elko is a good coach. Maybe if they had missed out on him, they would have called Dion or given him a shot. Maybe they were trying to make him prove it at a high-level job. And I want to say high-level Colorado, at least uh, respected Power 5 at this point. I mean, it's got some history, and they're on the map. Maybe they wanted him to do it two years there. I don't know. Maybe he's getting – because, I mean, the same thing kind of happened to Kiffin, right? He got to FAU. You know, okay, one and done. He's like, no, nope, got to hang out and do it another time. Like he, he had to work his way back up a little bit before he was able to, to get a SEC job. Maybe they feel the same way about Dion. The name that you mentioned that I, we haven't brought up yet, he's the boogeyman. He, he he's who I would be terrified if Alabama hired, and the only person I think that could keep rolling and be as scary as Nick Saban would be Urban Meyer. Yeah, now, I don't think they would actually hire him, but. That would be pretty terrifying. He he would be a problem. It, it, would, it would keep Alabama up right there with Georgia. That's the only guy that would scare me. Dan Lanning's going to be a downgrade from Nick Saban. Urban Meyer wouldn't be much of one. Now, it's funny. We haven't really talked about Urban much, too. I, I think, ever, you know, for me, I directly associate his failure at Jacksonville, and it's like that's a totally different, you know, totally different calculus than coaching at the college level, which he was elite at. 
Um, so, yeah, it's a good point. Just one little rung below Nick Saban as far as I'm concerned. Like, Urban Meyer, to me, is the second greatest coach of the last, like, 30 years. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go and climb the second best coach ever or whatever. But, like, for my lifetime, he's been the second best coach. You think he's in that Jay Wright kind of category where he's just kind of enjoying life on TV and know. not really doing as much coaching-wise? Or I, do you think he probably is still wanting to scratch I, that I, itch a little bit? I don't think he knows, yeah. quite honestly. I, I think he, you know, if, they, if Alabama reached out to him and wanted <laughs> to talk, I promise you he would take that call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think the difference between your Jay Wright comparison is Jay Wright, for the most part, went out on top. I mean, I know he didn't true. like retire after the second national yeah. championship, but like he didn't get stale. He didn't become a punchline. Urban Meyer kind of became a punchline after what happened in Jacksonville. So like I do think he probably looks and says one more run to kind of remind everybody that I'm actually a clean really, up really his good image coach. a little bit. Yeah, and like just, like prove again that he's the man. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a shame because when I watch him do college football analysis uh, for Big Noon, his knowledge is incredible, mm-hmm. actually. He's, he, I, I feel very informed when I watch him, but at the same time, his smugness and douchiness, <laughs> I, I can't stand him for that reason. But he is, to John's point, he is, he is so top tier as a coach and offensive and football mind in general. It's... Uh, yeah, we let's not let's not wish that one into existence. You know, that's uh... yeah. I did like a uh, X spaces last night or Twitter spaces or whatever, and like I talked about Urban there last night about him being terrifying, but then I forgot about it when I went to sleep until you mentioned that, and I just got kind of shocked back to life of like, oh yeah, that would be uh, that would be scary. But I also don't think it's very realistic. But kind of like how. Like Alabama's last coaching search, wasn't that how it went? It went like, hey, we're going to have a search. We're going to do this thing. We're going to really try to hire Rich Rod. We're going to get stood up by Rich Rod. It's going to get a little bit embarrassing, and then we're going to whip it out and actually go out and hire the best available coach, which was Nick Saban. Like, hey, we're going to make him say yes. We're going to bring him – we're going to bring him in from the NFL after Rich Rod tells us no because we need to remind everybody that we're Alabama. Like, that's kind of the way I remember the last coaching search they had to do going. So, like, maybe it's a situation where, like, hey, a couple of these entrenched coaches tell me no, and they, they say they want to stay at their, own, at their own school and do their own thing. Well, okay, let's remind everybody that we, we can still have this pool. Let's go get Urban Meyer. This just in, there was video of uh, Saban getting out of his car. I think he met with his team this morning. Okay. And they're saying that he uh, cited his age, obviously, but also his uh, – didn't mention any specific health issues, but did say that – Some health stuff. Health stuff. So whether that's Miss Terry or his own or both or – Yeah. Um, but I was wondering about that. It was when he talked with the team. I didn't know if it was yesterday, but it sounds like it was this morning. Well, when I was listening to Bruce Feldman, Bruce Feldman made it seem like it was yesterday. That's why, like, the announcement, he was fine with it coming out now, is that he had said that he had heard that, you know, they were trying to get players back across the country flying in because Saban wanted to tell all them in person first yesterday. So maybe he was at the facility doing other stuff today, yeah. I don't know, or yeah, yeah. meeting with coaches or – meeting with uh, the, the, the direct – you know, the athletic director and the president about, like, what's next, like – who should they target? I don't know. but So crazy. It said he also participated in his regular SEC head coach's call on Wednesday morning, actively involved in the discussion, even becoming animated at times during the call. <laughs> so wild. That, I wonder if he takes like an advisory role somewhere, like tries know. to get into like yeah, I mean, he'll, administration. He'll do, TV. He'll, do, he'll do TV. Yeah, there's there's a lot of money on him going to ESPN, mm-hmm. re- formally replacing Corso because 
McAfee's such a wild card, they don't know, you know. There was a lot of thought he would replace Corso, but I don't think that's the case. I could see Saban his little doing segment it. on McAfee show too probably makes sense now, where he's been doing that all season. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he'll be on today. Yeah, they'll, they'll, that'll be uh, that's his scheduled day on there. So. When you tell me that about the press conference thing or the teleconference thing, it, it does make me think that maybe they got some bad news, like health wise, and that kind of sparks that, like which is sad. But either way, it's good for Tennessee. Yes, we'll do it again tomorrow. Stay tuned, Jake Miller. Brett, Marcus, they're coming up next. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio.